We are starting a new series today that I have been really getting ready for probably like, I guess, 10 years. <laughs> um, you know, uh, just to give you a little backstory, um, when we started Upper Room Church, one of the things that we've always done every year is we've studied a book of the Bible. And some years we go through multiple books, and we'll cover two books, or one year we did three books. Um, and, and so the, the book of Romans, or the letter uh, to the church at Rome, is one that I have I have wrestled with for a while now. Um, I'm intimidated by it in a lot of ways. Um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty in- incredible letter um, that we're going to dive into for the next at least eight weeks, I know for sure. And I've asked some friends to help me with this series, so uh, you'll hear from one of our overseers and um, a couple other folks that will be coming down to, to go through the letter. But I, I think this is an incredibly important letter, and I'm not the only one that feels that way, um, but some of the great patriarchs of the faith came to know God through the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Guys like John Wesley, guys like Martin Luther, um, there's a reason why I think they put it as the, it's the first epistle. So once you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts, you have the, the letter to the church at Rome. And priority-wise, I would say it probably is the most important. And I've heard it said that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, um, they give us the words and the works of Jesus. And so it's four different, you know, people's uh, basically description of what they seen Jesus say and what they seen him do. That's the Gospels. And then Romans, it, it basically gives us the impact of those works and words. And the Apostle Paul goes into great detail. And so before, before we jump in, the thing that I always do when I start a, a book or I'm getting ready to, get, you know, to go through a letter or a book of the Bible, there's the five W's of journalism. How many of you have heard of the five W's of journalism? I think this will help you. So a lot of you have heard of it. I might have. So it's, it's who, what, where, when, and why. You know, so, and it's not in that order, I think. We're going to start with, yeah, it is in that order. Who, what, where, when, and why. And this is not in your notes. And, and so just before we jump into this, uh, to this letter, the who would be the Apostle Paul. That's who wrote this letter. Um, and the Apostle Paul, a little bit about this letter, he never, he's never been to Rome. And so he's tried to go to Rome. He wanted to plant a church in Rome. It was a really, he, he, in his heart, he knew he was supposed to be there, but every time he would try to go, something would happen. He'd get interrupted. Um, and, and so he, he's writing a letter to a church and to a place that he's never been. And so a little bit about Rome. So we know Paul wrote the letter uh, and there was a church that had been established in Rome at the time, not of Paul's doing, but there were house churches These small churches started to pop up all through Rome. And it's incredible to me the similarities between Rome when this was written and the United States right now. And just a few, just what the Roman civilization was like. Uh, Some of the greatest thinkers of our time and historians believe that Rome, the civilization itself, is the direct ancestor of the modern Western world. So what we call democracy and a lot of how we govern and the way that we do things in the West came from Rome. And just a few similarities, Rome and the United States are both republics, so they voted people into power. That's how they governed. And Rome had multiple systems or multiple um, entities that held power. They had the emperor, they had what they called the, the courts or their officials, elected officials, they had a senate, very similar to our Congress. 
So we have the branches of government, and then we have our president. Pretty awesome. And in that day, there was a saying, this was around AD 50, that all roads led to Rome. They were the largest, most influential um, civilization on the planet at the time. One of the main reasons was their military power. They had and held the largest military for decades and decades and decades, very similar to the United States. The cultural influence of Rome was known throughout the world. What happened in Rome happened in the world. What happened in Rome happened in the world. Very similar to the United States. At the apex of our influence, what happened in this country ultimately flowed throughout the world. From an economic power standpoint, I don't know if there's been a greater civilization that has, that, that has existed in the history of the world. Uh, they built roads. They connected the world. Uh, they, were, they basically held the world economy in their hands. And so if the economy of Rome collapsed, the, the world economy collapsed. And it's similar to our economy, right? If the Dow Jones goes down, the rest of the world follows suit. And so our economy, it, it affects more than just us. One of our missionary friends um, in El Salvador told me this. He said, when the United States sneezes, we get the flu. And so it's the same way with Rome. They were the world power of the time. So that's, that's who Paul's writing to. That's who he's writing to. What is he writing? It's a letter. It's a letter. It wasn't a, it wasn't a book. It wasn't in chapters and verses when Paul wrote it. It was a letter. Um, and it's a very, very critical letter. Where is he writing it from? I don't exactly know. My best guess is it's someone's home in Corinth around AD 57. And so he's writing this letter from somebody's house in between planting churches and doing what, what the apostle Paul did. And so why did he write it? That's the big thing I want to talk about today. So we know who he's writing to. He's writing to Rome. The similarities between the world that we live in now and the people who would have received this letter are very similar. But why did he write it? The best that I can tell, the way that Paul would write his letters, specifically this one, and I think some of the best writers, is have you ever you know, picked up a book and it was basically like a few good paragraphs and then they just wrapped like a thousand words around it? And they didn't say the actual thesis of the book until the last chapter because they want you to read the whole book. Okay, so I don't like books like that. You know what I mean? Like, like go ahead and put the main thing out front and let's unpack it. Well, that, that is what the Apostle Paul does with this letter. The thesis statement, I believe, Romans 1, uh, verses 16 and 17, are the entire synapsis, the, the whole book can be summed up in these two verses that we're going to read together. And so over the next eight, 10 weeks, these two verses are, these are the, this is the thesis statement of the entire letter, and it gives us what it's about, why he wrote it, and it basically says this, Romans 1, verse 16. I'm going to read out of the New International Version because that's the Bible that was given to me, and that's the Bible I read a lot. So yours may seem a little different, but verse 16 of Romans 1, this is the thesis statement of the letter. We'll unpack this for the next 10 weeks. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Somebody say revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last 
Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There it is. Yeah, okay. Somebody, one person like that. Yeah. So there it is. That's, that's the book. So y'all, we can go home. Let's pray and we'll leave. But no, that's kind of simplifying it. But I believe that's the thesis statement. Everything else really unpacks that. And just so, so the first thing we have to ask ourselves is what is the gospel? He says it multiple times. That word gospel is used 13, 14 times in his letter. The book of Romans is about the gospel. The book of Romans is primarily a letter about God. So I know a lot of times we come to church and we get a lot of, we get a lot of self-help stuff. I try to bring things that, help, that will help you that you can use on the job, at home, and in your family. Uh, but as we look at the book of Romans, we're going to study a letter that is mostly about God. The gospel, if, if we can sum it up, what is the gospel? What, what is it really? Literally, the gospel means good news. And I think the first good news, the first, the first like, le- level of good news is that it's good news about God. Because up until this point, most of the world, before Paul wrote this letter, thought God was really mad at them. And, and they came to God when they were in trouble, and they came to God to, to, to ask for forgiveness and to make sacrifices. It was a very law-driven relationship. And so the gospel is good news. I mean, it's the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's, and so he's writing to Rome, a world that has everything, and he's saying, there's one thing you don't have. I have some good news. I know you've you're, you got these roads and a big military, and your economy's booming, and the, the center for the arts is here in your city, but there's something you're missing. It's the good news of the gospel. And so we, we know what the gospel is because of the four gospels, and we, we, can, we can say it and define it. But Paul goes into such detail about exactly what the gospel means for you and I. And he does this, I believe, in the first few verses of this letter. And so if you write a letter, how many of you have ever written a letter to somebody? You write letters. Okay. I think it's like kind of old-fashioned, but we should bring it back in style. You know, I'm the kind of person, if, if, I, if somebody writes me a letter, I've got it in my house. I, I keep it. Now, nasty letters, I just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I crumble them up, put them in a package, and send them back to them. With, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I get, I get, yeah. <laughs> I've thought about it. Um, I make them eat it, actually, one piece at a time. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, but so I, I think letters are, are like powerful. When you get a letter from somebody, they sat down, especially a handwritten letter, it, you know they took the time to think about what they were saying. There's no autocorrect in this. Chat GPT didn't write it for them. You know what I'm saying? Like they, and so this is a letter handwritten by Paul. And when we write letters, typically we put who we are at the end of the letter because we assume the person we're writing the letter to knows, knows about us because we write letters to people we know and love and family, and so they know who we are. Well, Paul had to put everything about him in the front of this letter because they had no idea who he was. What they knew about him was not good. All they knew is that here's a guy that used to go around and kill Christians and had a, a letter from the king to do that. And now he's trying to tell us about God and the gospel. And so they were probably very cautious of Apostle Paul. And so in the first few verses, he describes who he is. Rather than waiting towards the end of the letter and signing it at the end like we do, he puts his credentials right up front. And that's, that's where we're going to stay today. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant... Somebody say servant. A servant of Christ Jesus 
called, somebody say called, to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures. All right. And so that's as far as I got on week one. So we're going to unpack that first verse. Three things in that verse that Paul says about himself that are very important. And what the book of Romans does, I believe more than anything, is it helps shape our worldview. And every person has a worldview. Every person has a worldview. And the best way I can describe what a worldview is, is everything that you see in your life, you see through a set of glasses that I would like to call your worldview. Your presuppositions about the world. Is it a good place? Is it a bad place? Are people nice? Are people mean? Is it a, is it a safe place? Is it a dangerous place? Did I just show up here because, uh, you know, we rolled out, of, there was a big bang and then we rolled out of some slime and we involved it from a lizard to like a monkey to like cavemen to this? That's your worldview. Or is there a creator and is this intelligent design that we're a part of? And that this world existed in, in, in the heart of God and my life existed in the heart of God. Your, your, your worldview, everything you do, whether conscious or not, you're referencing your worldview. How did I get here? Who am I? Big questions that, that we all have that the Apostle Paul, through this gospel, or through, I'm sorry, through this letter, is answering. And the big questions, I believe, he answers right out with his introduction. How he describes himself. The first thing he says is, I'm, 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 my name is Paul. I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And so he's not writing from this high office. He, he doesn't lead with apostleship. He doesn't lead with, you know, doctor, prophet, evangelist. Right? He doesn't lead with his credentials, and he has them. He leads with servant. Now, that word servant's an interesting word. There's five words for servant in the Greek language. We got one. This word is doulos, Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ, which, which means in that day, you know, if you worked for someone or you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it, you would become that person's servant. And until you paid off that debt, it's, and some translations say slave, until you paid off that debt, you, you basically, you were legally bound to that master. And but a doulos, a, a servant would be someone who had a debt and owed a debt, and then they paid it off in full, but decided, I like it so much here, I'm gonna stay. That, that is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I, I, there, there was a debt I had to pay, and, 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 but now that I have the option to come and go, I like it so much here that, that I'm willfully serving God through Christ, not out of duty, but because I want to do it. It's something that I get to do. It's not something that I, that I got to do. See, religion puts a lot of weight on us, and we constantly feel like we got to do these things. But Paul is writing from a heart and a perspective where he says, no, I'm a servant of, of God and I get to do this. I mean, I get to write this letter. I get to plant these churches. I mean, he, he's, he's leading with a heart of humility because in chapter one, he says some things that would get him put in jail just about right now. If you read chapter one, you'd be labeled a bigot. You'd be labeled, uh, labeled small-minded. You, you'd, be, you'd be persecuted 
for some of the things he addresses in chapter one. And I want you to see the spirit, how he's addressing this. He's not coming from this, I'm right, you're wrong. He's coming from this spirit of humility. It's so important before we go any further that, I mean, I, could, I can imagine he's, he's weeping as he's writing about the culture and about what's happening in the world around him and about what was going on in Rome at the time. And he's, and he's warning the church, don't get mixed up in it. Don't, 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 like, you're salt and light. You're the light of the world. When the light goes out, people run around in darkness. And so it's from a spirit of humility. He, he calls himself a servant. But then in Romans 8, he goes a little farther. I want you to see this. That the, and he's talking to me and you, this, this church at Rome. The spirit you received does not make you slaves. He's saying, so no, you're, you're not servants, so that I don't want you to live in fear again. Rather... The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit of God in us, we can cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is a good news, y'all. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit in our life is to remind us that we are God's children when we don't feel like it, when we make mistakes. Now, this is important. I know some of y'all, I'm losing some of y'all, but I want you to, to grab this. Before Paul begins to talk about his calling and his apostleship and why he was writing, he's establishing the first thing that we all must get down in the deep depths of our hearts. He was describing whose he was. Paul knew whose he was, W-H-O-S-E, his identity. He, he knew, he, he says servant at first, I'm a servant of Jesus, but then he goes a little deeper in the letter and, 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 and lets us know that beyond servants, beyond just, just working for God, that we're a part of God's family, that he only had one son, but he, because of that one son's obedience, we had been adopted into this thing, y'all. That's good news. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We don't have the last name, but we got invited to the party. Paul is writing from a place of security, a place of knowing that I know who I am. I know whose I am. And, and he's writing to a culture and a church that was living in a time that had an absolute identity crisis. They had no idea who they were. Nero was king in AD 50 when this letter was delivered. Nero married a woman and then decided that he didn't want to be married anymore. And so he married a man. And then he decided he didn't want to be married to that man. And he wanted to be the woman. So he made himself a woman and then married another man. Y'all look at me shocked. <laughs> that was the leadership of Rome when this letter was written. And that's why he goes into detail in Romans 1 about some of the things he goes into detail about. Because when we don't know who we are, we just will identify as whatever. Whoever's important to me in my life and tells me what I should be is what I think I am. Come on, somebody. And that's why it's so critical for the church to stand up and say, no, no I know there's an identity crisis in the world, but we know who we are. I know whose I am. I know who I am because I know whose I am. 
and I get my identity from him. I don't get my identity from you or from TikTok or from some counselor or psychologist or whoever is trying to tell me who I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to be. Please, somebody help me. And, and, and maybe this isn't a big deal to you because you know who you are, but it's a big deal when you're a child. Why does Paul use that language, you're a child of God? Well, because a child doesn't have executive function. A child, if you put $10 million in front of them in an Oreo, they'll pick the Oreo. <laughs> and we are living in a culture that is confusing children that have no executive function. They don't know right from wrong. And we're telling them they're a dog one week and this one week, and they can be whatever they want to be. And this is dangerous. And the church is saying, well, well, God's going to judge the world for this. No, that is the judgment of God. Because when the light goes out, people run around in the darkness and they don't know who they are. And Paul is writing with urgency, he's saying, listen, don't get mixed up in this church. You gotta know whose you are. You've gotta be established in your identity. So Paul, a servant, he says, I'm a servant. But then he goes on in detail and he says, no, no, you're sons and daughters of God. I want you to just get that in your, in your spirit this morning. I might've made you mad, but I want, I want you to hear that. You're a son and a daughter of God. Every child is a miracle. Every human is made in the image of God. That's why they're so valuable. That's why there's to be protected. That's why life in all forms should be protected. Human life from the womb to the tomb. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. If you're a Christian or not, I don't care. And that culture got away from that. And they started legislating law and what was right and wrong. And I, and I, I want you to get this, Roman, again, Romans 1.17. We, the righteousness of God has been revealed. So where does right and wrong come from? Where does identity come from? Where does, where do, where does morality come from? Is it a bunch of people in, in, a, in a white hallway, in a building, in the ivory tower that legislate this stuff? Do they create right and wrong? It comes back to identity. It comes back to knowing that that came from God. <laughs> That the, the church, that the, you know, we didn't create this. We didn't come up with these rules. That, that the gospel was revealed. That, that word revealed, it, it's, it can be translated apocalypse sometimes. That it was, it was hidden. And then God just said, I'm going to show you this. It's a mystery, but I want you to see. Now, it's another thing that shapes our worldview. I want you to, I, I know this is, this is heavy stuff, but... If we see law and right and wrong as something that we can create and that we legislate, that's a bad path. If what's right and wrong is based on what's good for society at the time, we're right back to Nazi Germany, where he convinced millions of people that this certain class shouldn't be alive and that this certain class should be like, like it's a dangerous slope that never ends well. And so as the church, we stand up and say, no, right and wrong was not created by a man. Right and wrong was revealed by God through the gospel. And Paul goes in so much detail. I mean, he, he's building a case here, almost like a lawyer. He's presenting this. 
to the church at Rome. And, and, but again, we're, we're in his introduction. And so, so Paul knew whose he was. He knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a servant of God. And, and so and, and before we move on, one of the things about children that is, is so important is because they can't make decisions, right? They don't have that, that executive function. They depend on somebody else to do that 100% of the time. And so when Paul is writing this letter, I think what a lot of what he's trying to establish in the church is that you don't have to figure all this stuff out on your own. That, 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 that you can go to God as Father. When you, when you hit a, a, uh, a bump in the road or you find yourself and you don't know if you're supposed to go to right or left, he's saying, come to God as a child. Lay your, ask him. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you direction. Paul knew whose he was. And then he goes on. He says, all right, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. Now, I want, I want to just read to you what that cost him. Called to be, what did the apostleship of Paul look like? 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been jailed a lot. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time and time again. I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by the Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times. Three times? I mean, I'm like, man, is this some... I've been immersed in the open ocean for a night and a day. In hard traveling, year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers. I've struggled with friends. I've struggled with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, Missed meals, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not even the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when somebody gets to the end of his rope, I feel desperation in my bones. I feel with people is what he's saying. When somebody's duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. If I have to brag about myself, I brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. I mean, how many people would continue in that occupation if that was your track record? I mean, seriously, think about it. Whatever it is that you do, or doctor, or you're, you lead things, or you, I, I don't know, you're a coach, you're a teacher. If you were like persecuted everywhere you went, thrown out, lied on, put in jail, This man that's writing this letter knew why he was alive. He knew his why. Once he, once he we got his identity in the first few, first few, few words, and then he says, well, I'm called to be an apostle. You know, vocation means to be called, your job, what you do. It's your calling. And he was, he, he was so certain about what he was called to do, he put up with so much, I mean, if some, I don't know, if probably the second or third time getting thrown in jail, I don't know if I'd preach anymore. Honestly, I'm just being honest with you. 
or like if they were putting me like arrested or, or like, you know, getting drug out and, and stoned. Like this is really, really heavy stuff. But Paul was so established in his purpose, nothing could rock him. And I believe the gospel gives us that same clarity in our lives. I believe it does. When we come to the cross and we find this new life in God, it gives us such clarity about what we're called to do that I think that we can have the same boldness that this apostle had. Because no matter where you are in your life right now or what you're doing, I'm sure there's been times that you've wanted to give up, Right? I mean, when we read that, it, what he had been through, I don't know how, I, I would think that he would be in a, like a, just in a, just, just a mess, just an anxious PTSD, just mess. But somehow God continued to use this man to write some of the most forming letters that we have in our hands in the Christian world through all of that. And I think that there's so much distraction in our world today and there's so much like just trying to get our attention that we, we forget that, that we're called by God to do something on this planet that nobody else can do. And I believe that with all my heart. There's something that only you can do, that God created you specifically to do that. And it may be to raise your children, those kids that God gave you. And it may, be, it may be to coach that team or it may be to teach that class. I don't know what it is, but Paul had such a clarity in his calling. He knew why he was alive. And a lot of times when we go on these expeditions to find our purpose, we try to look within. But I think the more that we look to God, the more we find our purpose. And that's what Paul is telling us in this letter. He, he, he's saying that, that I know it's a letter about God, but when you, when you study God, you find yourself because he created you and he knows all the details about you and the in, in, in intricacies and the ins and the outs. And, and so Paul was so clear in his calling because he had a very clear picture of who God was in his life. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And then here's the last one, and we're gonna pray. Set apart, set apart for the gospel. Three things here that shaped Paul's worldview. Three things that he's seen everything he was doing through his worldview that I believe can be our worldview. His identity, he knew whose he was. He knew what his calling was. But then this last little piece he puts on there, set apart for the gospel. It's almost like he had his identity, his purpose, and then he had this assignment he was working on at the time, which happened to be a letter that he was writing from someone's house in Corinth. And I want, I want you to catch this, because at the core of who we are as believers, we have to know our identities. And then we have these callings in our life. You can call it purpose. What's my purpose? You know, purpose-driven life was probably, the, I think it was the largest sold book, Rick Warren, that, that, like in Christian history, because so many people wanted to know what their purpose was. And that's a, that's a, that's a good thing to want to know, right? But then he, he ends it with 
with this assignment. He says, I'm, I'm set apart for the gospel. I want you to just to look at a few things that Paul was assigned to do throughout his life, things that he found himself doing. In Acts 2, he says he was a student. Acts 22. At one point in verse 4 of Acts 22, he says, I also killed a few people. He had a letter from the king. He had a legal right to go find Christians and persecute them all the way to their death. That's what he did at one point in his life. He was a Pharisee, Acts 23, 6. So a Pharisee was a leader in the religious world of that day. He, he, he was a, a, a student in the law. Uh, he was very, very intelligent. And then look at this, Acts 18. He was a tent maker at one point. Murderer, student, Pharisee, tent maker. First Timothy chapter two, he's a church planner. So he's writing to Timothy and he's writing to the pastors that he, where he's gone to these towns and planted churches. And this is what I want you to catch here. And then now we're reading in this time and space where he was, he's writing a letter. He's an author. And this is where the, I think the real opportunity is in our lives, in mine lately, for sure. Is we get into a bad place when we confuse our assignment with our identity. And so many people, that's what we wear on our badge. You sit down with somebody on, in an airport and you ask them, so tell me about yourself. What do you do? And we find our identity in what we do. Well, I'm a doctor. I work at Pepsi, right? Or I, I, I'm, a, I'm a this, I'm a that. Like we, we begin to tell our assignments or what we're working on at the time and we try to find our identity in those things. And then what happens is the assignment ends. Right? Well, I was a parent for a while, but now they're gone. I worked at Pepsi for a while. Did y'all know that? I look back at my life and some of my assignments. I shucked oysters for a long time at a place called Nickel Seafood. I washed dishes there for a long time. I got burns on my arm from working the fry line for about a year and dipping fried fish and it splashing on me. Like, like I washed cars for a while. Before we planted the church for a summer, I led a surf camp down the beach and was mumbling to God this whole time. What does this have anything to do with planting a church, Lord? I've been a dad, I've been a, all these different things in my life that have come and gone. But the problem is when we try to find our identity in what we're doing and in our job and our assignments, and it's, it's your life can't uphold the weight of purpose and identity when you find it in what you do. It's why we're called human beings and not human doings. You're meant to be a child of God. You're meant to be a son and daughter. You're not what you do. You're not who anybody told, I mean, like we got it. And that's what Paul is bringing us back to. He's saying, you can't really go any further until you're okay with being a son and a daughter of God. I may not have the assignment that I want right now. You may not have the assignment that you want right now. You, you might be in a season where you're doing something that's completely opposite of your calling and purpose. And it's your assignment. And we will find ourselves in an anxious state if we can't come back to our identities and whose we are in those seasons of life. 
we'll be confused. We'll search for purpose in what we produce in margins and profits and and all this stuff where we'll search for purpose in all the wrong places and we come back to the same place where God's just saying, I want to be your dad. I want you to be my child. And I got to tell you, I've struggled with that a lot because I tend to be pastor everywhere I go. People, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I've started to believe that that's who I am, but I'm not, I'm not a, right now it's what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is my assignment. I'm, a pa- I'm pastoring. But before I'm all that stuff, I'm just a servant of God. And I found like no matter where I was in life, if I was washing dishes, dishes at Nichols or wherever, if I was, working at Pepsi, I feel like I did more ministry at Pepsi than I've done sometimes as a pastor because people would come to my office and say, man, I heard you go to church. Can, can you help me with this? And I knew that I, my assignment was at Pepsi, but there was all kinds of things connected to my calling that was going on. Do, do you understand what I mean there? Like, like there, there's, we're, you're so much more valuable than, than what you do. And, and you're so much more valuable than what you can offer. You're, you're valuable. The gospel, the good news is that there was a God in heaven that gave his son to die for you because he wanted to be in relationship with you. Not what you can offer him or what you can do for him or so you can go to work for him. So I want you to do this. Just bow your heads. And I want you to just, I want to leave this with you today. You can have a good day today. And I think you can have a good day tomorrow. And I think you can have a good day every day up until the point where you meet your maker. And I want you to just, keep, I want you to think about this. Today is a good day because I have a heavenly father who loves me and has a plan for my life. That's all I want you to, I want you to think about that right now. Why is today a good day? Well, it may be bad things happening, but today is a good day. This is why. Because you have a heavenly father who loves you and has a plan for your life. That's the gospel. Today is a good day for you because you have a heavenly father who loves you so much. And no matter how confusing your life may feel right now, he has a plan for your life. Today's a good day because I have a heavenly father who loves me and has a plan for my life. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that your love right now would fill the hearts of your people. God, we thank you that you call us sons and daughters. Will we just receive that today? Remind us when we don't feel like sons and daughters. Remind us that we're your children. Remind us that that's where we got to go back to when we feel frustrated and confused. We got to go back to the basics of our identity and who we are in you and whose we are. And Lord, remind us today. Remind us, Holy Spirit. Tomorrow morning when we're driving to that job that maybe we don't want, and we got that assignment that we really, really would rather not do, just, just Holy Spirit, remind us that we are children of God, that we're loved, and that there's a great plan for our lives. God, we just give you so all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.